Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, if you've been with us over the course of the last couple months, you know we've been walking through verse by verse this letter from Paul to the Romans. And today we find ourselves in the middle of Romans chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 9 through 15. Romans chapter 4, 9 through 15. The title of today's sermon is Faith in Accordance with Grace. Faith in Accordance with Grace. Let's read it together. Romans 4, 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness could be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Faith in accordance with grace. Well, the scene here is the scene of a courtroom. And I don't know if any of you all are kind of like me, you know, we all have our little personality quirks, but I enjoy watching uh, courtroom scenes in real life. Did you know there's like a website, there's YouTube channels, where you can watch actual court proceedings happening, criminal law trials, and that kind of thing. And if you're like me, you enjoy watching to see how both sides in the the trial present their case and how they build their arguments to try to convince this jury or this judge that their side is the truthful side. Well, what we have here is Paul as an attorney, and he's building his arguments in this way. 
He's trying to prove this point that salvation is by faith alone, that it doesn't have anything to do with our works. It's by faith alone. In fact, he's been on this argument for a while now. And for some of us, maybe the ones of us that are a little more artistic, maybe those of us who enjoy reading the Psalms, we can read through this passage of Scripture and say, okay, Paul, we've got the point. Right? Your point has been well made. You, we've got it. Our salvation is by faith alone. But you all that enjoy watching these law proceedings know that a good lawyer doesn't allow any door to be left open. Right? They have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that what they're saying is the truth. And so Paul here continues to close every possible door to the argument that could be made that we are saved by something that we do. We started last week and Pastor Keith brought up that Paul introduced in this courtroom setting two witnesses, very prominent witnesses in the life of God's people. Number one, he says, your honor, I'd like to call Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham was this pagan moon worshiper that God in his sovereignty picked out of all the people on the earth and said, you're my guy. I'm going to bless you with a family. I'm going to bless your family with a land. And actually through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the point that Paul made in that passage last week was God didn't choose Abraham because he was this upstanding guy. God didn't look down at Abraham and say, oh, look at this nice little pristine person who, man, they've got a lot of potential to do something great for me. No, God takes this pagan moon worshiper and changes his life by faith and calls him into his service to be the father of this nation and the father of whom the seed would come that would be a blessing to all the earth. So that was witness number one. But Paul doesn't stop there. He calls another witness. He says, let's call your honor David, King David, the man after God's own heart. But what about David? David was a adulterer. He was a murderer. So the case can be made there as well. God didn't look at King David and say, he's this incredible man because look at how pure his heart is. He's a man after God's own heart, not because he was without sin, but because he had faith, because he walked with God. And so in these two witnesses, Paul lays out this understanding, this first negative point. We are not saved because we're good people. If you need proof, look at Abraham. Look at David. 
But in our passage today, he brings up two more negative statements. Not only are we not saved because we're good people, secondly, and our first point today, is that we're not saved because of some religious ceremony. We're not saved because of some religious rite. Now, let's pause here for a second. Some of you may be saying, why is it that Paul cares so much that we understand these truths? Look, Brother Tony, I'm not a theologian, you may be thinking. I'm not a theologian. I'm not one who studies deep theology. I just kind of come to church and yeah, I want to know the truths, but it seems like Paul is asking me to go down this deep and I don't know if I can get there. Why is all this so important? Well, here's what I think Paul is trying to say, why this is so important. Because we have a worship issue. We have a worship problem. I mean, we today came in here and sang the song, To God Be the Glory. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I can find myself saying those words, but my heart is sort of cold in that. How is it that we can come together and say these things and sing these things and actually the words come out of our mouths, but our hearts are not impassioned to say, to God be the glory. It's because we don't understand these truths. We don't understand, we don't feel the weight of these truths that God has saved us, not because of us, but because of Him. And when we start to see that, and when we start to believe that, and we start to take those truths to heart, it radically transforms the way that we worship. Not just the way that we sing, but the way that our hearts are turned toward God and the things of God in our lives begin to change. It's been said like this, good theology leads to doxology. Good theology, when we believe these truths about the scripture, our worship, our lives are more devoted as a living sacrifice to the Lord. This is our reasonable act of worship. As a result, Paul wants to take us deep. Let's see these truths. He said it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So that second negative statement that he makes in this passage, we see in verses 9 through 12, we are saved apart from ceremony. We are saved apart from ceremony. So as Paul advances his arguments forward, he is anticipating a person who would think, okay, Abraham was not saved because he was a good person. But here's what we know. Abraham participated in this religious rite 
this ceremony called circumcision. Now, we're far removed from this ceremony, so let's just remind ourselves of how this ceremony came about. Of course, God established this people, Abraham's family, to be his chosen people, the nation of Israel. And as a sign of this covenant that God made with the people, he gave them this religious rite, this ceremony of circumcision, that on the eighth day, they were to participate in this religious rite. And so Paul is anticipating that someone would say, okay, he's not a good person, but he's circumcised. And as a result of that, he has salvation. So then we see Paul making this argument. Look in verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Well, what blessing is he talking about? Look back up in verse seven. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Brothers and sisters, to be sure, this is a blessing. The incredible blessing that God has taken care of our sins, that he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. So there's a way made in Christ. Now Paul says, okay, to whom is this blessing given? Is it for only the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Well, he answered, verse, the end of verse nine, he says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. I mean, does Paul have a mouse in his pocket? Who's the we? I think what Paul is trying to communicate here is that he is not out here on an island teaching a new theological truth. He's summing up all the theological truths that have been taught over the ages. He's saying that from the very beginning, this is the way that people have been justified, is by faith. So he says, for we say, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How is it that that faith was counted to him as righteousness? Well, he says down in verse 10, here's the question. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Was this justification of Abraham, when did it happen? At what point was Abraham circumcised? Now, the readers here would have probably already known the answer to this question because they actually read their Bibles and knew it most likely. But for us, maybe we don't know. So let's flip back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15 and let's see the chronology of the way the scriptures lay this out. Genesis chapter 15, and let's look in verse 6 to answer this question. 
How was it counted to him as righteousness? Genesis 15, 6. Let's start there. It says this. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So at that point, chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believes and it's credited to him as righteousness. He is justified at this point. All right, now let's flip over to chapter 16, verse 16. We have a little timeline here. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we're not sure exactly, but here it's in the biblical record. It says in chapter 16, Abraham was 86. And at that point, he had already believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now flip over one more page to chapter 17, verses 23 and 24. 17, 23, and 24, it says, Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Here it is, verse 24. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So Paul is saying, okay, let's talk about the order. If it's only for the circumcised, you say, this religious ceremony, if it has something to do with salvation, let's go back and look at the chronology of Abraham's justification. He is justified when he's 86 at least, and he's circumcised when he's 99. So then we can make the case that there's no way that Abraham's circumcision had anything to do with his justification. He was justified at least 13 years before this religious ceremony. So then going back to Romans chapter 4 at the end of verse 10, he says it. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Now, why is Paul going through all of these things? Because we can be tempted to believe the same things. Circumcision in the Old Testament is a sign of the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, baptism is a sign of the covenant. There are people, and maybe you're here today, and at some point along the way, you came to this belief that somehow what happens in those baptismal waters has something to do with you being justified before God. And the case that Paul is making here is that there is no religious activity. There is no religious ceremony that has anything to do with our justification before God our right standing before God. Maybe some of you came from faith backgrounds like the Catholic Church that says in order to receive these gifts of grace, you have to do these certain things. You have to be baptized. You have to take of the Eucharist. 
in receiving the Lord's Supper, this somehow is a part of our justification. And Paul clearly here says that our justification has nothing to do with religious ceremony. It's by faith alone. It's believing in what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. One pastor says it like this, we are saved by good works. We are saved by good works, just not our good works. We're saved by the good works of Christ on the cross. That is the only way of salvation. And Paul says it here, we are saved apart from a religious ceremony. But he goes on to say in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith. See, these religious ceremonies, baptism and the Lord's Supper, these are signs. They point to a deeper spiritual reality. They point to something greater than they are in and of themselves. Just a week or so ago, my wife and I had the incredible opportunity for our 15th wedding anniversary to go to Italy. And what an incredible place. We're one day, my wife Kristen, she walked me 14 miles in the city of Rome going to look at all the sights. But can you imagine if we're walking down the cobble streets of Rome and there's a sign that says Colosseum that way. And I go over under the sign and say, Kristen, take my picture. Colosseum. No, I mean, that's not the Colosseum. It's pointing us to the Colosseum. To go see it, you have to follow the signs. And this is where we can get confused is sometimes we perceive that these signs, these things that are intended to serve as a, a pointing to a greater spiritual reality, we believe that they in and of themselves have some power to save us. And so Paul says here, look, it's a sign, this outward sign this circumcision, or we could say this baptism points to the fact that we have already been saved, that we've been, we are believers and we have faith. Therefore, we practice this sign of believers baptism. So he says he received the sign of circumcision and the seal. Can you imagine back in the day when they actually sealed these documents, if they just rolled up a blank piece of paper and sealed it, the seal does no good. The seal is just the authentication that this document is real and is coming from a real source. But the depth and the, the meaning of the document is not found in the seal. It's found in the words on it. So Paul is belaboring these points. These things are signs, not spiritual realities in and of themselves. And then look down at the end of verse 11. The purpose was to make him 
the Father of all who believe without being circumcised. I mean, I have to say it. The VBS song, Father Abraham had many sons. Right? This is the truth Paul is saying here. I am one of them, and so are you. The truth is, when we come to faith in Christ, our name is not added to some genealogical record of some family. Our name is added to the book of life. This is Abraham's family. So Paul says the point in this was that Abraham would be the father of all of those who believe, circumcised or uncircumcised. He is the father. One theologian, Donald Barnhouse, says it like this. It is not the Gentile who must come to Jewish circumcision for salvation. It's the Jew who must come to Gentile faith as Abraham had long before he was circumcised. It's faith. All of us have to come to that point of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, our salvation is apart from religious ceremony. Thirdly, in this passage, second for us today, is he says, salvation is apart from keeping the law. We can't keep the law. And the good news is, salvation occurs apart from us or any kind of keeping the law. Look in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul is presenting this argument that justification does not come when we obey God's commands. We are not saved because we obey God's commands. Remember the Abrahamic covenant that we mentioned back in Genesis chapter 12 where there would be a nation of people and they would possess this land and there would be a blessing sent out to all the other nations. This blessing would be fulfilled in the coming Messiah. This blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Redeemer. So he says here, the promise to Abraham and his offspring. This Greek word here, offspring, is singular. It says, the promise to Abraham and his seed. Who is the seed? Who is the promise? Well, it's the very one who was prophesied about way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God says the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. This is the blessing of Abraham's offspring, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come and redeem a people would be a blessing 
the kind of blessing that Paul says here in Romans chapter four that can wipe away our sin, who can deal with our sin and take care of it on the cross. Paul in the book of Galatians makes a lot of these correlating um, truths in that letter. Flip over to Galatians chapter three. Let's start reading in verse 13. Galatians 3, 13, Paul says it like this. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, here it is, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring, and it does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. See, Paul's saying the same thing. The blessing was Christ. The blessing that it was to come was found in Christ so that if we fall back into thinking that by doing these things, by coming to church, by reading our Bibles, by saying some prayers, by doing good things, if we believe that those things have any power to save us, Paul says the promise is nullified. There was no reason for Jesus to come. If we could be justified by coming to church and reading our Bibles and praying and doing good things, there was no need for Jesus to come in the first place. But Paul's saying, since those things couldn't save us, Jesus came in the fullness of time to lay down his life so that our sins could be forgiven. What an incredible truth. Why would God do this? Why is it that God would look at sinners like us who were hopeless? There were no good people. There was no religious ceremony. There was no law. There was no good thing that we could do. We were totally hopeless. Why is it that God would do anything about it? For his own glory. To shine a light on himself so that we can come together and sing to God be the glory. 
great things he has done so our lives could live in submission to him and say, Lord, this is not about me. This is not about what I've done. This is not about how good I am. I fully submit to who you are. May you be glorified in my life. Brothers and sisters, that's the point of our salvation for the glory of God. What an incredible God. Acts chapter 16. You'll remember Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail. Incredible thing had happened there. A miracle. And the Philippian jailer asked them, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas responded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together today. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, it's very clear. Every door possible has been shut for us to have an excuse, for us to think that we could be saved by some other means. But Lord, you are very clear that you have saved a people unto yourself for your glory. And the only way that that occurs is by faith according to your grace. You gave us something that we didn't deserve. Gave us Jesus, the blessing, the fulfillment of the covenant. Paul says, and that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Lord, the promise rests in your grace, your sovereign grace. So Lord, those of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus, we've trusted in Jesus for our salvation. Lord, use these truths to rekindle within us this passion for your glory not only in the way that we sing your truths, but the way that our life reflects self-sacrifice. Lord, we admit that we're people that tend to fall back into this trap of living for ourselves, doing what's what we think is best for us, or what makes us the most comfortable, or gives us the easiest path in life. So Lord, forgive us of those things. Help us to be impassioned for your glory in such a way that causes us to deny ourselves and to seek your glory in our lives. Lord, I would pray for one here today. Maybe at some point they've been caught up in a religious system that says when you do these things, you impress God. And God looks at you because of those things and gives you salvation. Or maybe somebody who grew up in a Baptist church. Maybe somebody who looked back at the faith of their grandparents or their parents or their uncle who was a deacon or someone else who lived a good life and they thought, 
that their faith, that that person's works would be enough for them, Lord, we recognize that the only way for salvation is by believing, by faith in Jesus. So if there's a person here today and they've never trusted in Christ alone, by faith alone, today, would your spirit move in their life? Would you save them from their sins? We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.